0: Just a quick reminder, Daniel is from a particular type of literature called apocalyptic. A couple of characteristics about apocalyptic. One is apocalyptic is always written during a period of persecution when God's people have been uh, very often overthrown, conquered. They're in captivity. Uh, Other people are controlling their lives. And so one of the ways you can think of apocalyptic literature is it's a literature of rebellion. There are different ways you can rebel. Some people can take up arms, take up sword like the Maccabees did. But another way you can do that is to do that literally. So what we see in the book of Daniel, of course, is there's an there's a opposition between those who rule and the people of Daniel and the Jews who are uh, sort of under their thumb. By now, we've seen all the various parts. And so what we look at today, some of it will be sort of familiar. There's sort of a formula to it. And so no, so no surprises there, but then also there's unique content as we go. So we're going to start at Daniel 5. This is not so much a vision or a dream in the sense that we've had two so far, but something seen. It, it, it feels kind of like a vision. Uh, King Belshazzar. Now, we had another name that sounded almost like that. Remember who it was? Well, and then we had Belteshazzar. And that's the name for Daniel, okay? So, again, kings named after uh, the god Bel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar named after Nabu, one of the gods. It's just it, you know part of their, their culture. King Belteshazzar. so we got a new king. This is the son of the one we've been talking about. Made a great festival for a thousand of his lords. And you have a little artwork here, somebody in the 1900s, uh, 18th, 19th century depicting what that might look like. And he was drinking wine in the presence of, his cre- of a thousand. Now, anytime they start about the king starts drinking wine, you know it's going to go south, right? <laughs> so. Under the influence of the wine, you know, it's not going to be pretty. Belshazzar commanded that they bring in the vessels of gold and of silver that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple of Jerusalem so that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might. I wonder if there's a little tension between the concubines and the wives there, <laughs> but yeah, might drink for them. Now, this is cultural. One of the things you've you've probably seen those uh, uh, images where people drink out of the skulls of those people they've conquered. Uh, It was very common in the ancient world that you would uh, you would when you conquered somebody, you would take whatever their religious items were and you would take them and put them where? You remember in the temple of your God. So the message was my God beat your God. And so if you're going to take them out and play with them and stuff, you're sort of relishing the victory. So there's a little bit of mocking going on here. So they brought in the vessels of gold and silver that had been taken out of the temple. And we want to add something here, the house of God in Jerusalem. So these vessels are korban; They are are set aside. They're dedicated for the worship of God. And now we're going to see how they're used in a very different kind of way. The king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. We've seen that sort of series of building materials back in that statue in chapter 2. So here we have the items dedicated to God from the Jewish temple that Nebuchadnezzar destroyed, took and put in the, the treasury of his God. Now being hauled out, and with these items, these cups, they're, being, they're making toasts to all kinds of other gods. Now this is the third vision, dream type of thing we've seen. Remember the, uh, chapter 2, the statue? Started with gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And the, the, the image there in chapter 2 was then a big stone came, crashed the clay feet, and then the whole thing Disintegrated. Chapter 4, last week, we have the tree. There's this mighty tree that just covers everything, everything that there exists, draws its life from it. And what happens to the tree? Cut down, leaves stripped, branches stripped off. It's just basically utterly destroyed. And in the chapter two, when Daniel stands before the king and gives the interpretation of what the statue means. Remember what he says? You are the statue. Chapter 4, you are the Or the tree. So we have a very similar type thing here. We have the hand writing on the wall. All three of these images have basically the same message, which is essentially the king is being judged by God. And the king is being found wanting. Matter of fact, that phrase is actually in chapter five, as we see today. Now, this vision is occasioned by the king calling for all this stuff. That his father had gotten from Israel and probably from many other countries. All the countries you conquer. You bring in all the stuff that is any value uh, from these various uh, temples. And you put them in there. You dedicate them to your God. um, And we're told specifically that they're taken from the temple. And we're told specifically that it's not just any temple. It's the house of the God of Israel. Uh, Matter of fact, this is so important. It's repeated. So it's twice. Remember in in, in Hebraic emphasis, we don't have uh, good, better, best. So if you say something twice, it's just like a line under it saying, this is important, pay attention to it. And it's not just a banquet. I mean, it's a banquet. It's a big one, 1,000 people. Uh, but under the influence of the wine, this banquet takes on some other kinds of dimensions. So it's become something that transforms, something a little different. And the story goes out of its way to focus on one particular thing that happens at the banquet. I'm sure a lot of things happen. But one particular thing, this zeroes in, on this destruction of the temple by reminding us that these objects that are going to be brought in and are going to be used to drink to these foreign gods were all that's left of the temple. These were the booty that was taken in as as it was destroyed. So we have this scene of the, the king and the court glorying and gloating in the conquest and the destruction of the land of Judah and Jerusalem and the temple. And, of course, of the thing that was dedicated to God. Uh, and that's a sort of center focus here. So what's being depicted is literally feasting on the spoils of conquest. And that's just a part of the culture that uh, I'm sure people do that today in different kinds of ways. Now, the fact that there's concubines, we all that little list of everybody that's there uh, puts another little sort of minor twist on this um, because that would have special meaning if you're Jewish. Uh, The presence of a concubine there changes the story a little bit. Uh, And it adds a little bit of a level of insult. This is not the greatest level of insult in the story, but but it's a piece of it. The presence of concubines would defile the whole, according to the the Jewish tradition. This is not in the Torah. This is not the first five books. But according to Jewish tradition, this would uh, having a concubine present would defile to some degree. The vessels, it's not what they were used for. Um, Temple vessels were not to be desecrated by anything unclean. We have this little passage in Isaiah that you may be familiar with. This is uh, a scene from the destruction of the Jerusalem. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of it, purify yourselves. You who carry the vessels of the Lord. So it's very important for anybody that's using the vessels, carrying them that you'd be in a a, a state of ritual purity. And again, the concubine would would cast a question on that. But the story has another dimension in which the the issue of it being unclean is it's much, much stronger. Uh, It links the excess of drinking, debauchery to this other dimension. And it's the dimension of idolatry. What are the vessels actually being used for? Well, they're being used to toast foreign gods. And that's that's the major part of this story. Um, Gods of gold, gods of silver, gods of bronze, gods of iron, gods of wood, gods of stone. Just a reminder that most parts of the world didn't have a god. They had lots of gods. And so you you almost get an image here of a pantheon. Like every conceivable god you could have has kind of been brought in, paraded around, and they're drinking to it. Um, So the whole scene, if you're Jewish, Is one of mocking you. It mocks everything that you stand for. Everything you believe in. It mocks your values. It mocks your God. Um, And what we have here is deliberately making fun. At victims. Is it not enough they've been destroyed. Is it not enough they're in exile. Is it not enough that they're captives. Is it not enough they don't have their freedom. And they're oppressed. But they're being mocked. On top of that as a defeated people. Now in the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah is a group of Jewish writings. It's actually finalized about the year 200 A.D., but it, it's, it's from this period, the time of Jesus, a little bit before, a little bit after. And there's a tradition there that says Belshazzar's death was seen as directly the result of this scene from the book of Daniel. So the Mishnah uh, says Belshazzar used the holy vessels and profane them. And that very night he was slain, which is where this story ends which means the Mishnah is probably looking at Daniel chapter 5 and just drawing a line, drawing the conclusions uh, that, that fit. It's not a stretch at all. Um, again, do you remember last week we had um, that the last king of Babylon left Babylon? Remember that story? And he went out into the desert, and it, 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 just, it was a puzzle with the Babylonians. He basically abdicated, almost like the Pope did, abdicated, left Babylon, goes off into the desert to an oasis and just lives and according to the narrative almost like an animal. Uh, This is today. We have another part that seems to be connected to that story. Uh, This is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's called the Nebuchadnezzar Chronicle and and the What we looked at last week, the tradition was that the king went away for seven years. Well, it raises the issue. What was the king doing out there in the wilderness? What we had last week, he was just out in the elements, running around like, almost like a savage beast. Loses his mind, has the mind of, a, or of an animal. And in this part of the story, it says, Seven years I was praying to gods, and this, the language is interesting, silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone and clay. So from this tradition, this is probably a Jewish writing. Found among the Dead Sea Scrolls, referring again back to the story. Why? Because I was of the opinion that they were gods. Now, in the Nabonidus story, he actually has a, a sort of uh, a conversion experience with that. Verse five. Immediately, the party is still going on. Remember last week, the words are still coming out when they're shut down. The party is going on right in the middle of the party. Immediately, fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the wall of the royal palace next to the lampstand. Very specific. The king was watching the hand, as it wrote. Then the king's face turned pale. Apparently he does not like whatever it is that's going on. His thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave, well, this just goes on and on. His, lee- his knees knocked together. You see, you get this kind of composite image of the king is basically just losing it. The king cried aloud to bring in the enchanters, the wise men, the astrologers, and the diviners. And the king said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing, remember, we've seen this before, minus the threats. Remember, chapter 4 didn't have the threats. We will tear your children apart, and your dogs and your pets and your teddy bear and all that kind of thing. Here, like chapter 4, it's not the negative. It's just the positive. Whoever can read this writing, And tell me it's interpretation. Don't have to worry about uh, coming up with a dream anymore. Shall be clothed in purple. Why purple? Royalty. Uh, Very, very expensive process to turn cloth purple. Only the very wealthy could afford it. Have a chain of gold. Any of y'all remember a man for all seasons, Sir Thomas More. Do you remember what he wore around his neck? Okay. That was the chain of office. In the ancient world and then very recently. uh, Matter of fact, in England, they still do that to some degree. But the idea is that you're giving the chain of authority, and this was going to be to rank third in the kingdom. So that's around his neck. This is a very high honor. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing. Does that surprise you? This is one that we're of a formula now. This is about (laughs) the third time through this. You know, he gets them all in there and they they can't figure it out or tell the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar became greatly terrified and his face turned pale. You know, this is not a normal everyday experience. So he's figured out something very important is going on. And the fact that he cannot, with any of his own resources, figure out what it is, makes it even worse. Uh, And his lords were perplexed. The queen. When you can't figure it out, bring your spouse in. They'll figure it out for you. (laughs) The queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and the lords, came into the banqueting hall. The queen said, "O king, live forever. Typical uh, kind of greeting. Uh, Do not let your thoughts terrify you. I'm sure he's going, that's easy for you to say. Or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom. Now. As far as we know, this is the first interaction between Daniel and this king. So who did uh, who did Daniel interact with? His father, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. Not this is not Jewish monotheism, but the spirit of the gods. In the days of your father, he was found to have enlightenment. Understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. So, so Daniel writes very high. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of the magicians. Now that comes as, a, as a kind of a surprise to us that we've heard it in Daniel before. But that's the way Daniel and the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are portrayed. They're portrayed as magicians. They have access to knowledge that the rest of us don't have. So the king made Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel chief of the magicians, enchanters, wise men, astrologers and diviners. Someday sit down, try to figure out how those are different from each other. But because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, which chapter one of Daniel focused on. Daniel's specific skill was the ability to interpret dreams, to explain riddles, to solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar, after his god Bell. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the interpretation. We know what the dream is, we just need the interpretation. Now, I had not realized this before, but actually, this business of, of fingers writing on a wall, it's not new. That's a familiar image if you're a Jew. It's an image that's a part of their tradition and goes back a long way. But the fingers on the wall appear. Right at the height of the party, right after we're told that they're drinking from the vessels of the temple. So there's mocking going on, and these fingers that suddenly appear basically just shut the party down. You get this wonderful kind of comical uh, image of the king. This is the mightiest person in the world at that time that it, they, they would know of. I mean, at this point in history, the Babylonian Empire is it. It's the ultimate superpower. And you've got the ultimate leader of the ultimate superpower, and almost comical, pale, frightened, knees knocking, giving way, you know, just having an anxiety attack. Uh, Daniel's original readers, again, would, would have known the symbol of the finger writing on the wall. By the way, without looking, did you know? I didn't, but you know where this comes from? Exodus. The Exodus story. A member of the Ten Commandments. What did, what did Moses get the first time? He got them twice. He dropped them for one time. <laughs> Ten Commandments. Moses writes them the second time. Who writes them the first time? And how does God write them? The finger of God. Okay. Uh, So you'd be familiar with this if you're a Jew. They'd immediately be reminded of the Exodus story. Exodus 31. When God finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant, tablets of stone (laughs) written with the finger of God. And this is not a solitary deal. This is part of Jewish tradition. It became a metaphor or a way of speaking about God's power. And by the way, you didn't have to be a Jew to be able to sort this out. If you back up all the way to chapter 8, now chapter 8, we're in the 10 plagues, right? So this is the dust of the earth turned to gnats throughout the whole kingdom. This is one of the plagues. The magicians tried to produce gnats, you know, we'll match you, you know, show trick for show trick. Uh, but they could not. They cannot duplicate this. Now, Moses had a staff that turned into a snake, right? They have staffs that turn into snakes. Of course, Moses' snake ate their snakes. I'm sure there's a message in that. Uh, So the magicians say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Did you know this was even a part of the teaching of Jesus? Did not know that. Luke uh, 11. If it is by the finger of God, the power of God, that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So this is, this is a part of Jewish tradition that Daniel pulls in. Um, it's one way of talking about God's presence. Uh, in the book of Daniel, we have various forms of presence. In the, in the three youths in the fiery, fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember what the symbol for God was. He threw three in, and there's four inside. And the four had the appearance of an angel symbol for God. Now, when we get to the Daniel stone into the lion's den, who does the king see with Daniel the next morning? There's somebody with Daniel who didn't get tossed in. So we have all this symbolism. You know, the fourth person. Now we have the handwriting on the wall. King's reaction again. This is this is a template. So we see this over and over. He calls everybody he can. He. He's going to muster his resources. They are mighty resources. He's got all kinds of trained people who know how to do this kind of thing. Uh, Turns out he has one he he had forgotten about or did not know. Who's the head of the whole thing? Mr. Daniel. The reward, again, we've seen this in the other chapters. The reward is if you can pull this off, you will have a lot of good things going for you. Um, Great rewards. Third in the kingdom. And, of course, none of the king's men can do this. Again, this is we see this over and over and over. It's the queen, of course, who provides the answer that there's this Daniel guy lurking around who was appointed like he's apparently the king does not know as he was appointed by your father. Maybe you haven't met him. Maybe you don't know about him. Uh, and he's chief of this group that you've got. So now we turn in verse 13 to the, the writing. On the wall and the interpretation that goes with it. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king said to Daniel, So, you're Daniel. Yeah. Um, you know, it, ter- it doesn't look like the king knows him, but he's heard about him. Who are you? Well, you're one of the exiles of Judah. A little stab there. Uh, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah. I've heard of you. And this is what I've heard. The spirit of the gods is with you. And enlightenment, understanding, and excellent wisdom is found in you. By the way, where did the king learn this? His wife just told him. Yeah, you know, he's learned all this from his wife. So apparently he does not know about Daniel. Now, the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and tell me its interpretation, but they were not able to give the interpretation. But I have heard that you, Daniel, can give interpretations And you can solve problems. And I've got a problem. I can't get this thing resolved. Now, if you're able to read the writing and we just know what happens next and tell me the interpretation, you will be clothed in purple. Chain of gold around your neck for your authority in the kingdom and you'll rank third in the kingdom. Another place he ranks twice. I think he fell a notch. Then Daniel answered with the presence of the king. Let your gifts be for yourself to give your rewards to someone else. Again, this is part of the formula. We've seen this before. Daniel is not a professional dream interpreter. He does not do this for a living. He does not expect awards for it. So he just declines that. But nevertheless, I'll do it. I will read the writing for the king and let him know what the interpretation is. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar kingship, greatness, glory and majesty. So we just dropped a shoe. Let's hear that again. O king. O king. Where did you get everything you've got? From the God of Israel, who you've just been mocking with the temple. Trinkets that you've got kingship, greatness, glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that I gave him, this is your father, Nebuchadnezzar, all people's nations and languages trembled and feared before him. And we have a. Middle Eastern kind of king's power lined out. He killed those he wanted to kill, kept alive those he wanted to keep alive, honored those he wanted to honor, and degraded those he wanted to degrade. This is just a a description of this absolute power. But then his heart was lifted up. Odd translation. Uh, Basically, he gets arrogant. That's what it really means. He gets arrogant, his spirit was hardened. And so he acted proudly. He was deposed from his kingly throne and his glory was stripped from him. And This is that whole business of going out, you know, in, in the wilderness for seven years. Although historically, the king comes back just in time to have Cyrus, the Persian, take his empire away from him. He was driven from human society. His mind was made like that of an animal. His dwelling was with the wild beast. And he was fed uh, grass like oxen. His body was bathed in the dew of heaven. Not a good thing. It means you're in the elements. So all this stuff we saw last week, Daniel reminds the king about his father's life. Until he learned that the most high God was sovereign over the kingdom of mortals and sets over it. Whoever he will. The most high God. Who is that? Do you remember? It's a form in Daniel four. The God of Israel. It's one of the titles of God of Israel sovereign over the kingdom of mortals that would be the babylonian empire and sets over it whomever he will so god puts kings up god takes kings down you remember uh mary mother jesus when she finds out that she's going to have a baby and she delivers the magnificat and takes kings off their thrones and puts them up okay That may be a reference back to this. And you, Belshazzar, my his son, you're not any better. You have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Now, you knew better, but you didn't do it. You have exalted yourself before the king, exalted yourself against the king of heaven. Now, how would he have done that? With what he was doing with the temple vessels, toasting these other gods. The vessels of this temple you have brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Glad they didn't have plastic, or the list would keep going. Which you do not, which do not see. These gods you worship, they, have, they don't have any eyes, they don't see, they don't hear, and they don't know. In other words, these are just idols. But the God in whose power who, but, but the God in whose power is your very breath and to whom belong all your ways you have not honored. You've been worshiping all the wrong things and you've not worshiped the one thing that really matters. So from his presence, a hand was sent. Direct connection. Because you've done this, God sent the hand. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mini, Mini, Tinkle, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. We're just this is just straight from Daniel, and brought it to an end. So Mini is connected with the word numbered somehow. Tinkle, you have been weighed. Some other the word Tinkle and the word weighed are connected in the scales, and you've been found wanting. Parson, your kingdom is divided. We have the actually this word comes into our our English language. Parcel to parcel out something you divide it up Uh, and given to the Medes and to the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed in purple. The chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made concerning him that he should rank third in the kingdom. Now, tell me if I missed something. Daniel just told the king, you're going down. <laughs> and the king says, good boy, I'll reward you. Uh, you know. He's drunk. Yeah, he's still <laughs> drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, ch- take the chain and go. <laughs> 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 that very night. Actually, he didn't have to wait long. That very night, Belshazzar, the uh, Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received his kingdom, being about 62 years old. Little recovery of that, and then we want to kind of look particularly what this uh, mini mini um, tinkle parson means. The king, had this, the whole story, we go back to the first scene. He's mocking the Jewish people. He's he's glorying in the fact that his father had destroyed the Jewish kingdom, had destroyed the temple, had destroyed Jerusalem, and he's got these little trinkets to show off to his crowd. Uh, things that represent the god that he's conquered. Now he deliberately turns and mocks Daniel. It's easy to miss, but it's clearly there. The king is going out of his way to remind Daniel of where he came from. He is part of one of the nations that his father has conquered, and they are a subject people. You are one of the exiles, the king reminds him. You were brought against your will from Judah into Babylon. My father is the one that did this to you. So just sort of. Stick in the eye type stuff. Daniel, you know your place and your place is not high because we're the people that have conquered your people. Now, Daniel has a unique skill set that makes him valuable. And and the passage goes out of its way to kind of underline this. He's keen of mind. He is not dumb. He's sharp. He has knowledge. He has understanding. He has the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Um. Others could not interpret, but he's told you can. You have this ability to do that. Uh, You can read it and you can tell it to me. The usual rewards are promise. uh, Wealth, position, power, uh, third and authority of the mightiest kingdom in the world. Uh, And by the way, we see this this list of rewards the first time from back in the original template. Remember the original story that these stories seem to be based on? Book of Genesis, Joseph, the story of Joseph. Look at the language in 41 and you, you see it's almost exactly the same. A little bit of difference. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Check, we're familiar with that. Uh, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves by your command, high status. You will regard on the throne. Uh, only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt, removing his signet ring. We don't have this this part and this. But in the book of Esther that Susan was t- teaching us earlier, we have the signet ring there too. removing his signet ring in the hand. Pharaoh put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him with garments of fine linen. And here it is. Put the gold chain around his neck. Now, Daniel will now rebuke the king, the king having rebuked him. God gave your father everything he had. To take that, kingy. Sovereignty, greatness, splendor, glory, everything that your king had. wasn't really from him. It was given to him by the God of Israel. And by the way, that which God gives, God can take away just as quickly. And particularly because of your arrogance. And then we get this little list of the sins of the father. Not not Belshazzar, but Nebuchadnezzar capricious use of power. This whim that people's lives were just destroyed or made uh, claiming God's prerogatives. He became arrogant. Uh, He got hardened with pride because of this. He was taken down a notch, deposed, stripped, driven away. Uh, We have images of statues being shattered. We have images of trees being stripped. And then he winds up out in the uh, the countryside living like an animal. Uh, And then we have this key line that really is what chapter five is all about. This is your takeaway. God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. Subtext takes down anybody wishes. That message is found six times in the first six chapters of Daniel. It's like a, it's like a, a, a litany, just over and over and over. It's, it's that important to Daniel. So the message is clear. You're no better than your father. Uh, now we get this king's crimes, not his father's. You have not humbled yourself. You have set yourself up against the Lord, antagonistic towards God and the things of God. You've got goblets of the temple brought into you. You praised other gods and who cannot see, hear, understand. Yet you did not worship the one true God. And so. The God you mock has sent you a message. And this is it meaning. Anybody got a little little Aramaic and this is all by the, way, uh, the, the native language of Persia. This is set in the Babylonian period, right? One of those anachronistic deals. The language is Persia is, uh, Aramaic. Aramaic is the language of Persia later kingdom Aramaic is the, the, the language that Jesus spoke Aramaic was the language of the early Christians uh, you know about 25 words in Aramaic already Abba father in the New Testament there's about 25 words of Aramaic this is Aramaic language many literally means you're numbered which is what the text said Many is an Aramaic word for a type of currency now all three of these words referring to coins that that people would c- be carrying around. You ever heard of a mina? A mina is a small denomination coin. So the message begins mina mina. numbered numbered. Tickle, again, it's 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 a it means weighed, but it's actually another coin that was used in the Persian Empire, not the Babylonian. Um, and it's uh amount of money and it's a, you've heard of it? Shekel. And tackle and shekel. Or the same word, same basic word. The third one, parson, we knew that one, divided. It's a third Aramaic word for a unit of money. It's when a shekel is cut in half. They could do that in the ancient world. You actually just cut it in half. You get a half shekel, you know, and it's been parsoned. So meany, meany, tekel, parson. What was the first one, meany? Numbered, numbered, measured, divided. So the message, the meaning of the message is that the king is being weighed. These are all different weights of coin in terms of his value and his worth. He's being measured. And does he make the cut? No, he's being audited by God. His life and his kingdom hang in the balance of this audit. And he's been found, as as the passage says, found wanting as a result His life will end. His kingdom will be divided. Some of it goes to the Medes. Some of it goes to Cyrus of Persia. Within four years, Cyrus will have it all anyway. Uh, So the king's been judged by God for his arrogance and for his treatment of the things of God. Following the template, we've got Daniel was rewarded. It's sort of a non sequitur in the passage. You just kind of wonder what how would a king reward a guy for the message? Is it God? Well, that's part of the story. That's what we go with. And the king pays the price that very night. Not you know in the middle of the party as they're drinking. The hand writes that very night. Immediately judgment is not postponed. He is slain. Darius the Mede. Took over the kingdom. So the meaning of the story. Just a couple of slides here. The most high God has sovereignty over the kingdoms of and mortals. That's that's that one sentence. God has sovereignty. God holds the ultimate power. Now, this is counterintuitive. If you live during the time when Daniel is supposed to be set. If you're living in this time period of the, the Babylonian Empire or the Persian or the Greek, who does it appear has the power? It doesn't appear like it's God. God's temples and ruins God's uh, vessels for worship are in foreign hands and they're being mocked and God's people are in captivity. So it doesn't look like you know that God has that much power. But the message is God does indeed have the power even over the most lofty and not only that God will hold others accountable for their actions for the lives they live including how they treat others. Now, this part does not come out that strongly in this chapter, but as we've seen in earlier chapters and later, it will stand out. So next week, we're going to go to probably the story we know better than any other. Daniel and the lion's den. And with that, we'll bring the first half of book, Daniel, to a close. And you remember what chapter seven starts with? Pure apocalypse. And by the way, Daniel seven is the most important chapter in Daniel. Many would argue it's the most important scripture in the Old Testament for Christians. Remember that phrase, the son of man that Jesus picks up on. Daniel seven and much of the imagery of Daniel comes out of that for now.